Hello, everyone. This is Brian Zimmerman, AVP of Client Content Strategy with Becker's Healthcare. Thank you so much for tuning into the Becker's Healthcare podcast. Today, I'm joined by Matt Cook, Chief Commercial Officer at Firefly Health, for a discussion about the rise of virtual first health plans in the marketplace and how to stay ahead of the curve in the evolving healthcare landscape. Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. And so let's begin here by maybe just with the basics and set the groundwork here. Can you talk just a little bit about what a virtual first plan is? What are the basics here? What are the essential things folks should understand? Yeah, you know, I've heard a lot of times in my career, if we could just get people to go see their doctor, if we could just get people to care, it would change the trajectory of their experience. And, you know, more and more when I hear that, I just continue to think about why do we put so much of the burden of care and, and health plan on the member themselves. And I think virtual first health plans are really an attempt to remove that burden that the member is facing and how they navigate this insanely complex healthcare system. Uh, and the way they do that, or the way virtual first plans can do that is through the advance of course and technology, and really at a fraction of the cost as well. The other thing I would note is that, you know, virtual first does not mean virtual only. As an industry, I think we've over-indexed a bit on anything that's virtual, kind of thinking about it as access to care, um, almost like just the front door. And I think we've under-indexed a little bit on access through care. And that's why probably most people listening have a kind of a concept of virtual first anything as kind of a teledoc style urgent care model, I have a cold but where we where we think virtual first kind of plans and plan design needs to go is well what happens from there what happens when that person needs to be referred to a specialist where do they go or or if they need help managing a chronic condition and i think the tools that are being developed on top of technology are allowing us to better manage through the use of virtual and so really excited about the progress that the space is making yeah, and, and of course, the the what you said at the top there um, to unburden sort of members on the access front. I think anybody who's tried to schedule an appointment with a specialist in the last couple of years could um, r relate or understand the challenge you've just sort of laid out, Matt. Um, but curious if you could share what else is sort of driving the rise in virtual first health plans. You, you know, what what are what are the the you talked a little bit about sort of the value they can bring to members, but what about employers too, and what other benefits maybe? would you like to call out that that members can really, you know, um, enjoy under these plans? Yeah, I think one of the things that stands out to me is, you know, um, kind of in the why is plans and employers are really thinking about the member experience in light of that shrinking access. So, you know, you just hit on like, people have been feeling that. Uh, unfortunately, it's kind of only going to get worse. You know, there's been multiple articles from Kaiser Family Foundation and others that shows that there are more doctors leaving primary care, for example, than entering it. Um, a larger number of med students don't plan to actually practice when they are done. And so, you know, I think that the power of virtual first is that you're not just bringing the access to and through care. Now people are feeling like they have a good understanding of where to go when they do need help with their care. And it doesn't have to be Google, which is what I think many of us do. Um, and so I would say one of the big benefits of that is truly the coordination of care, you know, really appreciate what employers and plans have tried to do over the past 10 years in solving this problem. You know, um, they've worked it on bringing on a diabetes solution and a mental health solution or a musculoskeletal solution. And that really helps to drive very specific needs. 
But there's almost a negative kind of externality of that as well, which is all of a sudden you have this kind of lack of coordination in the virtual world. Uh, a lot of these vendors aren't really talking to each other and coordinating care. So you're kind of creating a different version of the complexity of care that's being delivered. And when you actually operate a virtual first plan, your ability to coordinate that care across the board um, is really, really important for the member experience. So Matt, we've been talking about sort of the, the rise of these virtual first plans, but I'm curious how you would describe maybe the, the traction these plans are gaining in the marketplace. Do you think virtual first health plans are eventually going to become the rule rather than the exception here? Is, is that sort of your 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 take on it? Yeah, I think so. You know, we've, we've definitely seen significant movement from some of the large players like, you know, Optum and Elevance and Regional Blues that are now, you know, putting out press releases. We are offering virtual first plans in key geographies. Uh, we've seen on our end that employers are starting to really see the benefit as well. Um, we actually just launched with a large national employer where they were offering, you know, Firefly's virtual first plan alongside their traditional options. And we saw about 15% of their entire population sign up for the virtual first option. And that number was even higher uh, when we looked at the percentage of people who were even making a benefit change at the time. So really, I would say what I'm most bullish on in terms of, you know, does this become the rule rather than the exception? Uh, is really that the the member, the employee is saying, I want this. Uh, that's such an important factor. This isn't just, um, you know, healthcare executives saying this could be a good product that people need. It's the member saying, I want it. And, you know, our average member has multiple chronic conditions. They're telling us how hard it is to get appointments these days. Um, they really don't have the time to take work off and go and navigate the system. And so really, while they might not be explicitly saying, I want a virtual first health plan yet, when presented with the choice, employees are raising their hand and saying, this is what I want. This is what fits my lifestyle. Uh, and that to me is you know, the most bullish argument for why this will become the rule over time is because people want it. And it stands to reason as people get more comfortable with this type of plan, you know, just because I, I imagine a lot of members don't don't aren't well educated on this type of plan yet since it's so new. Is it your anticipation too, as these become sort of more widely adopted or widely understood that that adoption and, and people raising their hands, that trend will continue, right? I think that's right. And so while while I firmly believe that, you know, virtual first kind of plans can really support the gamut of, you know, a population, I do think there is that initial early adopter kind of that I was describing is this person that has, you know, a level of complexity of care that just is is really hard to solve with a purely in-person all the time experience. So you kind of start with that use case. And now I think you can start thinking about moving that to more complex patients, moving that to upstream patients that maybe they don't need the you know hands-on all the time support, but the fact that they know that they have a care team in their pocket and kind of, you know, different options available to them, you know, that are convenient starts to, I think, expand the adoption over time. And so we'll continue to see that, I think, uh, phenomena occur as more and more people understand what these, you know, what these plans truly are. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate you walking us through that, Matt. I want to move now to the the affordability piece here, because that, that of course, is, is, is top of mind for, for everyone um, in, in, in the healthcare spectrum of things. So uh, how, do, how do virtual first health plans I guess, do they bring more affordability to members or what would you say on that? Yeah, they do. But I, I would first offer up that, you know, 
we we got to make sure we're not thinking about affordability at the expense of all else, right? At the end of the day, especially for an employer, you know, this is a benefit and it needs to be viewed as a benefit by the employees. So kind of the, um, the equation that we use a lot at Firefly is, yes, we want to make this more affordable. We want to lower cost, but we cannot do it at the uh, expense of losing trust of the employee, which, you know, typically shows up to an HR leader as like a nasty email that creates significant noise. So look, virtual first is not, it's in and of itself, the saving grace. It has to be done well. Um, it's not just shifting costs, you know, to high deductible plans. It's not narrowing the network, you know, so you get that email that says, why can't I see my doctor? And, you know, we definitely know, you know, how members feel about the idea of prior authorization, you know, they're, they're, those are examples of how I think you can create affordability, but they also bring with them significant friction. And I think, you know, Firefly's approach to virtual first plan, when we think about that equation is how do you drive affordability? Um, you drive that through trusted relationships. You actually get the members to understand the value that they're receiving, and then you earn the right to support them throughout their journey. And so I think Firefly does really well at this, you know, just as one example, when we need to make a referral to let's say an in-person specialist, uh, almost 85% of the time, our patient, our member is going to take our guidance. And that allows us to start to affect the affordability, not just upstream, but downstream. And what's really neat about that is not only are we seeing, seeing that downstream impact, I think we're seeing on average about a 10 to 15% total cost of care reduction on the plans we offer. We're also seeing significant member satisfaction increase our NPS is about 70 and traditional plans are excited if they're, you know, in the low double digits. So a significant opportunity to improve the experience that drives the affordability. And naturally those are quite linked and we need to think about it that way, not just affordability in a silo. Right. And then I guess my, my next question is sort of, uh, for, for these plans to really be effective, you know, there's gotta be the, the members have to be going to like the, the virtual, right? They've got to be embracing that. So how does the, the virtual first plan sort of uh, sort of design to encourage the use of virtual care? Yeah, I think we're already seeing, you know, I would say uh, an early, you know, low hanging fruit opportunity uh, on the plan design front, which is again, let's eliminate as many barriers as possible to encourage adoption. So an easy example to your question would be, Let's just reduce or remove copays for any virtual care visit, knowing that, again, that virtual care visit is financially aligned to pursuing the best possible outcomes. At Firefly, we're actually going one step further, and I think there are a few other exciting companies that are doing that. We've developed a product within our health plan offering that's called CarePass, and what we're basically saying is we are now able to look at cost and quality data for the referrals that we're making and if one of our members takes us up on that offer, and as I mentioned, over 80, about 85% do, uh, we will actually financially incentivize your making the correct decision to go to the provider that we are um, referring you to. So that might mean we're going to waive your entire copay uh, or remove or reduce you know, elements of your deductible on the plan design front if you utilize those preferred providers. And the incentivization or the incentivizing of that, I think, really allows members to not only say, hey, I trust my team and I trust, you know, my the, the folks that are I'm working with, but now I'm also financially incentivized to do so. 
uh, it really does create, I think, a, a really easy decision for the member. And, and they don't feel acted upon. They don't feel like their network options have been narrowed. They actually feel empowered. Um, but you have to do that the right way, for sure. Yeah, and I want to move now to to primary care because, of course, the primary care landscape has has changed quite a bit in in recent years. So, so the question then, Matt, for you is is how can a virtual first plan sort of, I, I guess, reorient healthcare consumers around primary care? Yeah, I mean, you talked about the the trend there. You know, I think just to maybe take a snapshot of like what's actually happening in the primary care space. You know, I think ten years ago, about seventy percent of primary care practices were independent. Now it's like 10%. It's really low. Uh, one of the leading uh, health plans in the country, I just read the other day, now em employs 90,000 full-time physicians. So there is this consolidation that's happening. And uh, as my you know younger self likes to say, don't hate the player, hate the game. Um, this might be strong worded, but the system's kind of starting to be rigged against primary care, right? Like, you have that status quo, 15-minute fee-for-service visit. It probably took you, like you mentioned earlier, a few weeks to actually schedule it to get into the office. Unfortunately, there are misaligned financial incentives. More and more of the practices being gobbled up are being told, refer to our expensive health system when a specialist referral is, is needed. Uh, and so you just have this, um, un unfortunately, this real challenge where you have these fantastic providers that want to deliver great care but the uh, the game, the system is just kind of changing. And so I think, you know, we need to think about what does the next iteration of primary care actually mean? Uh, we, start, we talked about some of the features. It needs to be accessible. Technology allows us to do that. It needs to be multidisciplinary, right? It needs to be primary care with behavioral health, nurse practitioner, care coordination embedded in the experience. But most importantly, it needs to be financially aligned. Because if you're not financially aligning incentives on the front end of primary care, you're going to see an inability to control spend and control a great member experience downstream. Uh, and that's really what the system is, what, you know, why we think the system is broken. Yeah, your last point in, in terms of financial alignment really strikes me as, as, as pretty sound in terms of this for this all to, to work out, to play out the, to the benefit of members, that, that alignment's got to be there. Um, my final question for you today, Matt, is what do employers really need to be looking at when evaluating whether to bring on a virtual health, a virtual first health plan? Yeah, look, I think the short answer is results. Um, it's always kind of bothered me again. I've, I've been in the industry now for 15 years, you know, um, it always kind of rubbed me the wrong way when, when we had, you know, partners, consultants, employers, you know, uh, they would ask like, well, what are your outcomes? Um, when I was, you know, out there working at different companies in diabetes management or mental health. And I think the reason why I rubbed me a little bit the wrong way is because I know that, you know, generally speaking, we're not asking, you know, Dr. Smith, the PCP in Des Moines, Iowa, what are their outcomes? Um, we're not asking, you know, 99% uh, of providers in our network what their outcomes are. So I think kind of flipping the script a little bit, I love the idea of this is, what should employers be looking for? Well, they should be asking their carrier partners, what are your outcomes? Why do my plan costs keep going up eight to 10% every year? And what are you going to do to stop it? And, um, you know, you'll, you'll get a, a big answer, I think. Uh, but the, the, really the next question is, okay, great. So you're willing to put some things in place to get those outcomes. Are you willing to go at financial risk in order to do it? 
And if the answer is anything short of, yes, I am willing to go a risk, you're not going to get the impact um, that really substantially moves the needle uh, in actually driving cost and creating a great member experience. So at Firefly, we are actively pursuing risk-based agreements in everything that we do. Because um, to the point we just said, if you do not financially align incentives, you just won't get that impact. So that to me is the number one answer. Do you get outcomes? And if so, are you willing to put fees at risk to prove it? Oh, Matt, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. I appreciate you um, coming on uh, coming on the podcast, educating our listeners, and, and just uh, your, your candor has been appreciated as well. So thank you so much for your time. Yeah, appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Also want to thank our podcast sponsor, Firefly Health. You can tune to more podcasts from Becker's Healthcare by visiting our podcast page at beckershospitalreview.com.